0: Visible and invisible, or the thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And he holds all things together. Jesus creates all things, Jesus sustains all things, Jesus redeems all things. not that all things are, that are redeemed, but Jesus is the one that redeems all things that are redeemed. But the point being is that not just humans are redeemed, but God intends all of creation to be redeemed. The bottom line, right? The summary of this Colossian passage is that Jesus is sovereign over all things. He is the ever-present ruler, all the time. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Does it get better? There's no more comforting comfort than that doctrine, that God is sovereign all the time. And then we come to a verse that we read this morning. <coughs> Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Amen. Wow. Did you hear that? I can do all things. Maybe you too. You can do all things. I mean, through Jesus, who strengthens me, we'll put that in. But we can do all things. This is one of the most famous verses that are out there in the public. and Maybe you might be familiar with it. Right? There's John 3.16, For God so loved the world, and there's Philippians 4.13. Athletes put this on their shoes, on their headbands. They tattoo it to themselves. I mean, this is not just athletes, but it's people put it out. Well, we can do all things through God. I have this ability put it on... On t shirts. We love this verse. I can do all things if I have enough faith in God. If I rely on Jesus, I can accomplish all my goals, all my dreams, any obstacles set before me. I can become a superstar athlete. I can win this game through Jesus. I can do all things. I can be a multi billion dollar CEO. I could squash Amazon through God. I could cure cancer. I could do all things. I could win the Boston Marathon. Right? Just with enough faith. Come on, Nikolai. I need your faith too. Don't bring me down. (laughs) I didn't say I want to. But if I wanted to, I could do all things. If we do it for Christ and we do it with Christ, I can do it. He will empower me to do all things. He will give me strength to accomplish all my hopes and my dreams and my goals. Wow, there's such a certain beautiful logic to this that inspires us and, and gives us hope. The problem is, it's not true. It's not the gospel. It's not the hope God promises. It's not the promise that God gives. The fact that you could accomplish all your dreams and goals and wishes and wants through Christ, that's the American dream. That's the American ideal. That you can do whatever you want. And we just make that a little bit religified. And we have Christ and that he's the one who is over all things, can make this happen for us. The problem with all of that is it makes us and our dreams the heroes of our story. It makes the things of the world the promises of God. In any moment that you're reading Scripture, you're interpreting the events of your life, And that somehow you're the hero. That you're the one accomplishing your goals. That you are the creator of your destiny. And that you are the sustainer of this. And that you're redeeming your circumstances. Even if it's through Christ. You are wrong. Before... Uh, I break this down even further, that I, we can do all things. Before we break this, uh, this Philippians passage down, I want to put a nail in this coffin uh, that we are the hero of the story with another, uh, another verse that's quoted often and another vice uh, that uh, Christians give to each other in this world. When someone's life is falling apart, uh, maybe they lost a job, I lost a spouse or a child, a death. Maybe there's a crisis in marriage or divorce. Maybe it's a decline in health, or maybe it is cancer. Maybe it's just a lack of, just a midlife crisis, a lack of, uh, of sense of purpose. Right? We want to comfort people. We care for people. And so we give this advice, we say something like this, don't worry. God won't give you more than you can bear. You can handle this. You can handle this. The, the problem with this... Right, and this sounds true, right? This, this sounds like scripture. The problem with... Is this is conventional wisdom masquerading as biblical truth. And here's the verse. Here's, here's the proof text that people get and understand this concept, right? In 1 Corinthians 10, 13-14, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Right, there's some comfort in that, right? Nothing special about my temptation. God is faithful. Amen. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. And here's a key verse after that, that we forget. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Here's the context of this. Paul is talking clearly about temptation to sin. Not trials or circumstances in life. That is not the same thing. What it's clearly saying here is that we have the ability not to sin. Why do we have this ability? We just read this verse, it wouldn't be clear. But why do we have this ability? First of all, God provides the way of escape not to sin. The first way he does that, he gives us his Holy Spirit. He's talking to believers. Believers, because the Holy Spirit has come in you and resides in you. You have the ability to resist sin. To resist the temptation. To put yourself before God. To resist that I'm sovereign. That I'll do what I want. To resist, put your pride first. He will also give you, he show you the way to escape, to flee that temptation. And then it goes to that last verse flee from idolatry, free from the root of your sin, pride. Right? This idea that, that sin really is rebellion against God's sovereignty and ushering in your sovereignty. That's really the, the heart of all sin, the heart of every motivation and of sin that we have, that's what it is. Rebellion against God's sovereignty. This verse is not used for trials. It's not used for the circumstances in our life, right? It's not, it's not God will never give you a circumstance more than you can handle. That is not true. And, and why we like that, we, we like to hear that that like God will never give us more than... More than a circumstances or a situation that we can't help. Why we like this? Because there's a sense of fairness to that. Like our idea of God is fair and just God, and He will never give me more than I can handle. The problem with this understanding of fairness is we misunderstand who God is. Because God is not fair. God is not fair with you. Because here's why he's not fair with you. Because he's forgiven you. If he was fair with you, you would die right now. That's fair. That's justice. But God is graceful. God is merciful. Think about that. God is merciful and graceful, and so he gives us more than we can handle. If he wasn't, he would say, okay, I think you can handle this. Go for it. And the other power, part of that is this: we misunderstand who's power. Who's the hero of our star, story. God will never give me more than I can handle. Points to what I can handle. What I can do. Whatever my, comes my way, I can handle it. That points people to my power, my ability to endure, to conquer, etc. The gospel, the Bible, points us to God, not us. And here's the thing, because we know, we know, if you're truthful, that you can't handle it. There comes points in time in every one of our lives, it's too much. Why do I know this? Because you're anxious people. Because you live in stress. Because you live in worry and fear. But we know in Psalm, Psalm 46, 1-3, hear this. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. That implies we will be in trouble. We are in trouble. And who is our help? God, not us. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives away, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. In Psalm 46, God can handle it. Why? Because he's in control of all things. He is in control of all things. Did you hear that in Psalm 46? When your life falls apart, when everything starts crashing in on you, God doesn't say, don't worry, you can handle it. Don't worry, I'll be right beside you. God says, no, no, no. I'll handle it. I got you. I know you can't. And the grace of this is, is the God who is sovereign over all circumstances gives us those hard things. Now, I know that does not we don't like to hear that. But God gives us the hard circumstances in life. To begin to change us, to begin to realize that we can't solve it. God creates, God sustains, God redeems all things, not me. Trials come in all shapes and sizes in our life, they're not given to us to show that we can handle it. Suffering, trials will come because sin is pervasive in this world. It's more pervasive than we can understand in our hearts. It's more pervasive in this whole world. And that God, who is beyond all measures, can use brokenness and sin to refine people, his people. And God can handle sin. There's not a sin that God says, shoot, it's too much. There's not a brokenness in our lives or in this world that overwhelms God. That gives anxiety to God. That stresses God out. Nothing thwarts his plan. Nothing bothers him in that way. God will give us more than we can handle. But not more than he can handle. Because he can handle it all. That's the promise. That's the gospel. Trust in the one who is sovereign over all things. So when we come to a, a verse like Philippians 4.13, 4, 13, it's like the same thing as this we just read in Corinthians. I can do all things through him who strengthened me. Wow, it's about me. I like this. I like verses that say, I, I can do this. It's not that we can do all things because we've been empowered by God. That's not what the point of this verse is. Because God strengthens us. Because we, we can make that spiritual, right? We just take that verse out of context, right? Yeah, that makes sense. I can do all things because Christ who strengthens me. It's really Christ's power, but it's working through me. Right, the pro- problem is we, we need to know what the antecedent to all things are. What is the all things in verse 13 referring to? What does it modify in this letter? Let's read it. Read it again in case you miss it. Philippians 4, 10-13. What is Paul talking about in all things? I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length that you have re, uh, revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm seeking of being in need, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and in hunger, abundance and in need. I can do all things through him who strengthened me. What is all things referring to? All things are referring to every circumstance that you're in. In plenty and in want, in abundance and in all need. Paul saying, I can handle all things. Things. through Christ who gives me the strength. That is completely different than I can accomplish all my goals or dreams or wants or wishes. The promise is, is God saying, listen, you can be content in every circumstance in your life. No matter if the waves are crashing in or the mountains are falling down, Or if you're like Paul writing this letter from prison. Paul who's been thrown stones at, right? Paul who's been beaten. Paul, Paul, I can handle, I can be content. I can be satisfied in all circumstances in life. Because God gives me strength. I can handle whatever circumstance because God will give me strength. The strength to be content. That's what that verse means. It doesn't mean I can win the game. It doesn't mean I get to accomplish my goals. It doesn't mean God will change your circumstance. It's not what it means at all. It means in the high and the low and the hard and the good. Whatever, the plenty and the hunger. Do you hear what he says? The abundance and the need... I will be content because I have all that I need. God and his promises. So wherever you're at today, wherever you were yesterday, wherever you will be, will you rely on God to give you the strength to be content with that moment with that circumstance, to be content with him? And here's a better word for content. Because content kind of seems like, oh, right. that's okay. That's how I read content. I'm okay with it. Will you be satisfied? Completely satisfied in the moment of your life? Do you believe that God is more than enough no matter what's going on in your life? That His grace abounds. That He gives you enough. That He is sufficient in all things all the time for you. Now, we, can, we can say, okay, in the hard times, okay, that's when I really need God. But here He says, in abundance. Can you be content with God in abundance? And I actually think that's where we struggle the most. I think that we, it's easy for us to turn to God, that I'm going to be content with God, because there's nothing else to be content with. But in our abundance, with most of us have abundance, most of the time. And this is, this is the country we live on, right? We, the dream is to, to live in abundance, to have abundance, to seek after abundance. That's what the American dream pushes us towards. That's what the world says To accumulate abundance. And when you have abundance, no matter your circumstance, it's easy to rely on the abundance of things. Maybe family. I have an abundance of family. I can rely on them. I have an abundance of possessions or wealth. I can rely on them. I can relish and be comforted by the earthly things in this life in the abundance. It's easy to not be content or satisfied with God because other things in that moment may satisfy you. And Paul's saying, no, 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 I've learned to be content with God, satisfied with God in all circumstances in my life. And then, you know, our need, right? I told you, Paul was writing this from prison. Paul has gone through harsh circumstances in life, in every circumstance. To be content, knowing that God uses all circumstances to refine us, refine us. He provides all circumstances to do something in us, to help us learn the ultimate truth that he is the creator, that he is the sustainer, that he is the redeemer of all things, that he is sovereign, that he is the provider. That he is the provision. That he is all that we need. He's all sufficient. Instead of being content in the things that we hope for of this world to satisfy us, including our dreams and aspirations, God is telling us, be content in need. Because when it's all said and done, that's all there is. The creator, the sustainer, and Redeemer of all things. We need Christ's strength to be content in all things all the time. We need Christ's strength to be content in God and His promises. The lie is we can do all things through Christ's strength. The truth is we need Christ's strength to be content with God in all circumstances. You see the difference? It's quite big, but very subtle. Romans 8.28, we know this verse and we say it, this is a popular verse too, but this applies to 4.13. And we know that for those who love God, all things, the God who creates, redeems, sustains, and control of all things, God uses all things, all our circumstances for our good, for those who are called according to his purposes. God is using all those things to make us blameless, to make us in his character, to make us holy, to complete us. Let's look at the context of Philippians, this letter, some of the things that that Paul says, right? It says in Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work, God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Is it your work? Is it your dreams? Is it your aspiration? No, this is, you are God's work. And if God has started a work in you, and if you are his work, he will complete it. Will you complete it? No. Does he give us circumstances to complete it? Yes. Does he give us hard circumstances? Yes. Does he give us good circumstances? Yes. Does he give us all our life circumstances? Yes. To complete us. It's all his plan. Philippians 2 12 through 14. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, we'll talk about what obedience means in a moment. So now, not always as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Well, so we've got to do something. In fear and trembling, right? Uh, For it is God who works in you. What? We're to work out our salvation, but it is God who works in us. And we've already heard that God will bring out the completion of his work, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God works in us for his will and his good pleasure. And then it comes verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Why would Paul say do all things without grumbling or disputing. I, that, I think, is the answer to work out your salvation. Why, would, why would do we grumble? Because we're not content. Because we're not happy. Because we're bothered by whatever circumstance we have. We're bothered maybe because our abundance is not enough. And so someone else has more abundance. And so we want their abundance. And it's not fair that they have more. So we grumble, or we're like Israelite in the wilderness, right? God provides all that they need—the manna from heaven, day in and day out—and they grumble. It's not enough. We want better circumstances. Do all things without grumbling means be content in all circumstances. Work out your salvation doesn't mean doesn't mean earn your salvation. But live out God's work by obeying God. And what is obedience to God? Loving God, loving neighbors. Can you grumble and love God? Can you grumble and love your neighbor? Can you be not content with God and love him? I don't think so. I don't think that's love. Be content with God. Philippians 4, 4-7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Always. All the time. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts And your minds in Christ Jesus. Rejoice. Be joyful in God always. In all circumstances in your life. Be joyful. Be content. It's another word for joyful, right? Be content. Be satisfied. Do not be anxious. Why don't be anxious? Why don't be anxious? Because in the midst of all the circumstances in your life, God can give you peace. The peace of God which makes no sense in the circumstances in our life. God will give us to guard, to protect our hearts, the center of all who we are in our minds, in Christ Jesus. That's another word for be content, this peace of God. That will. Just let us be content. That He has a plan. That He is sovereign. That this circumstance is for my good. Will I be content with Him? Will I be satisfied? Is He sufficient for me, or do I need something else? Rejoice is the major theme in Philippians. And rejoice, I'm saying, is the same as being content. Rejoice in the one who gives you all things for your good. Rejoice in the one who has secured your future. Rejoice always because God uses all things for our good. Be satisfied in the one who is sovereign over all things all the time. The, the, uh, last week I talked about this term evangelical Gnosticism. Uh, this kind of idea uh, that we separate uh, the spiritual and the material in our churches in, in America, right? That, that there's a, a spiritual reality. We got it, yeah. And we, we pay tribute to that on Sunday. And then there's a, a material world that we go after our dreams and our aspirations. And so this is, this is the gospel story. This is the hope uh, if we lay it out. And it, it sounds pretty good. The, the evangelical Gnostic or the American dream gospel story is this. God creates a perfect world. Human beings sin? Okay, yeah, sounds good. Christ dies on the cross to save his people from their sins? Yes. We accept Christ as our Savior so that our souls can go into heaven when we die? We we enjoy our lives right now, which is a little bit what Ecclesiastes is saying, right? Pursuing the American dream, that sounds a little harsh, right? We wouldn't use those terms. With the bounds of the nation's laws and personal piety, right? We are bound by the laws and uh, we want to be uh, in good character, right? Uh, so we want to avoid sin and, and keep pure. We die and our, and our souls go to heaven. Christ comes again, bringing an end to this world. We live with God in heaven forever. Now, that sounds pretty good. But that's, that's not the gospel story. But Philippians 4.13, out of context, I can do all things in Christ who strengthened me. Well, that's the rallying cry for this hope. God gives me the strength to pursue all the things that I want to in this world. And then at the end, I get to be with him in heaven. And we've separated out the material and the spiritual. But here is, I hope you see the subtle difference. Here is the biblical, the biblical story. Before I get to the biblical story. Right, so when we, we say we can do all things with Christ, whatever I want. This is how it looks like. We come to church on Sunday and we pay tribute to God. We give them Sunday morning. Some of us a couple hours, some of us an hour and a half. It's all pretty relative. Maybe some of us go to Bible study during the week. That's a tribute to God. Maybe some of us set aside uh, some of our days or some part of our day for prayer. Maybe some of us set aside some of the time for daily Bible reading. But all of that is just a tribute to God. And the rest of our day and the rest of our life is spent manifesting our dreams and aspirations. That's stage five. All of it a tribute. I'll give God this, and then I get to do this. Because Philippians 4.13, I can do all things, all my goals, all my dreams, all my aspirations. God wants me to do this. God will give me, if I am faithful enough, God will, this is a good God, and he wants me to enjoy the things in the world, which he does, but it's not distorted in this way. I've aligned myself with God. I'm in his good graces, and therefore I get all this, what I want. He is the source, but we're the heroes of this story. No, right? I hope you're saying no. I hope you're rebuking this gospel that I just stated. Rebuke this tendency in you. Because here's the biblical story. Here, here is the gospel. And we just say it in different ways, but this is essence what it is. God creates a good world. Human beings sin. Rebellion to God's sovereignty. Christ dies on the cross to establish his kingdom, liberating the entire world cosmos from the effects of sin not just humanity but the entire creation in christ's resurrection we are a new creation a new humanity the kingdom has come but it's not yet fully realized in our life those who trust in christ are new creatures a forgiven people who are adopted into god's family the church to serve as a royal priesthood and a holy nation and then number six, this is where we're at right now. God's family live a, lives as restored priest-kings. I'm talk about that seems like a real technical word. Seeking to extend the reign and worship of God in the present, even as we long for his second coming. We wait for him to come back to fully realize his kingdom. This is what I mean by priest-kings. In the Old Testament, priests were mediators to God. Right? And so they offer sacrifices. For God to God on people after people's sins, right? We are not that kind of priest. That is not the kind of priesthood that Jesus. Jesus is the sacrifice, and then says we are a new priesthood in the Hebrews, right? We're in the order of Melchizedek, who was a king, and this priesthood of all believers. You know what we do? We point people to Christ. We point people to the King. We point people. To God. We are in the ministry of reconciling, appointing people. We do that by reconciling ourselves to them and then point them to Christ. That's what a priest does in the kingdom. That's our job right now. Not to achieve your goals and aspirations and dreams, but to point people to reconcile them with Christ. And then the kingship. Here's the incredible thing we are co heirs with Christ, who is the King of kings. Right now, we have a rule and power. Genesis, at the very beginning, he gave humanity a power to rule. We screwed it up pretty quickly. And now we struggle with this. But now, as this new, new creation, we are to enter into this rule right now. Not having, domineering over people, that's not what it means. That means ushering in his kingdom and his kingdom values. And the economy of his kingdom, and all the way it works. How does God rule? How do we rule with Him? Right here and now. That's a whole different sermon, at a different. But all of it is to extend the worship of Christ. We go on. We die, and we enter into God's presence, but without our bodies. Christ comes again, fully consummated The new creation. God's family receives a resurrection of bodies and becomes fully whole. And the last God family lives with God in a new creation forever, continuing to serve as priest kings. The role in which we're supposed to be living right now is our everlasting role. It does not cease. We extend the reign and worship of God. We're not going to find new believers in heaven, right, in the new creation, but we are continuing to extend that reign. That's our job, always, forever, in this new priesthood, and co-ruling with Christ in the new creation, in a fully resurrected body. Nowhere in the gospel story is there a place to pursue our material, material dreams and aspirations. I'm not saying you can't have material things. That that would be absurd. Because then we'll all be naked here and we'll be very uncomfortable. Right? That's, that's not what... Right? We've been learning about Ecclesiastes. Like, we can live with all things and enjoy all the things of this world. Like, it's okay because all the pleasures the things of this world don't point to themselves. But point to the one who's the ultimate one is satisfied. Who's the ultimate pleasure is God. All those things when used in proper understanding that we are to be content in God and not them. Because all those things in our life will come and go. Will fade away. Don't be content in your abundance. Be content in God. Nowhere does it say to pursue the material dreams and aspirations. Do you know what it says? Pursue God's kingdom. Matthew six thirty three: Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In every moment we are created to be content with God. Because God is the only thing that truly satisfies. All the pleasures of the world, they don't satisfy us, but our shadows of the one true pleasure. The truth and good news is this. God will give us more than we can handle. So that we can learn to be content with him in all circumstances in our lives. For all things. God will give us the strength and the ability to be content with him. In all circumstances in our lives. Because God is the creator of all things, He is the sustainer of all things, He is the redeemer of all things redeemed. God is sovereign over all things all the time. When we are content with Him, no matter our circumstances, people will ask, people will notice, why are you content? Why are you at peace? Why are you okay in this moment? In this hardship? They'll ask that question. Maybe they won't physically ask it, but they'll think it. And here's what you can say. And here's what your life can point. Because I'm content no matter what in God. I am satisfied no matter what in God. God who strengthens me. It is God who is redeeming me right now. And as Jesus says in emphatic emphatic tones in Revelation 21:5, behold, I am making all things new. This is the God we follow. He's making you and I new. Our contentment in God, our contentment in His promises in all circumstances, in plenty and in want, point people. the real good news God God the God who is for us and not against us in every moment and every circumstance in our life let us pray